So we're in a series called Pray First, and kind of the, 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 the subtitle here for this series is Worry About Nothing, Pray About Everything. And so we've been talking about this idea that we're in a, a time in our, our life where worry and anxiety are higher than it's ever been, and how our answer is not to just give in to that worry and anxiety, but to start praying. It's all built on Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 7. It says, do not be anxious, or other version says worry, do not worry about anything. Everybody say anything. Don't, don't worry about anything, but in every situation. So if it's financial, if it's a student going back to school, if it's losing a job, whatever it is in that situation by prayer, petition, and thanksgiving, present your request to God and watch this. God will make a transaction with you. And as you give him your request, he will give back to you supernatural peace that transcends all understanding. It means you won't be able to understand it. You might still be in your situation, but you'll have supernatural peace that guards your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. It's my favorite verse in the Bible. It's one of my memory verses, and I just think it means so much. And so last week, we talked about how we need to pray first when stuff happens, when, when we're going through something and something happens that our, result, our, our first custom, our customary uh, uh, reaction needs to be to pray, not to worry. And we talked about that. And today, I want to talk to you that we should pray first, watch this, when culture changes. When things begin to shift in our culture. We're, we're facing a time where I'm going to show us that it's not quite the fact, but we feel like we've never experienced stuff like this before. Some of the things that are being pressured onto us in culture, some of the beliefs, some of the attitudes, some of the stances. And the truth of the matter is this, for a lot of us, we're just trying to figure out how to approach it and how to address it. You know, uh, first of all, as a Christian, you deal with it as a Christian when you believe something different and you're dealing with coworkers and bosses and, uh, you know, government systems or whatever the culture may be. Second might be as a parent. How do you deal with it as a parent? It's one thing to deal with it, you know, in yourself, but how do you deal with it as you're leading your kids? For those of you that have kids, especially those of you that have kids in school and as culture is pressuring. And then as a student, right? How do you deal with it if you're a student who's in school and You've got so much pressure on you to kind of go with the flow because if not, it could result into bullying, it could result into just an uncomfortable situation. And so for a lot of us, we're kind of asking this question, how can we remain anchored in our Christian faith while navigating the pressure of cultural change? How can you and I stay anchored in the faith that we have as Christians while navigating not just culture, but navigating the pressure of cultural change. I do believe that there is a balance between bowing down and being a self-righteous jerk. All right? Here's what I mean by that. I think there's a balance between this idea that we have to bow down to the golden statue of the world, if you know what I mean. And, but there's also a balance in, in between us feeling like we're better than everybody else and, and coming off like we know the right way and, and all these kinds of things. So there's this balance between not giving in, but at the same time not being so, uh, you got it, right? I don't want to get off my notes there for a second, but you got what I'm saying. I think we can engage our culture without compromising our faith. I really do. I think there's a way for us to engage with culture without compromising our faith, but it's going to take, it's going to take at least three things for sure, more, but these three things for sure. It's going to take humility. It's going to take compassion. And what I think is the most important, it's going to take dependence on God, complete dependence on God. 
There is no better book in the Bible to talk through this than the book of Daniel. We introduced last week that this series will be pulling out of the book of Daniel. We'll study through it. We started last uh, week in Daniel chapter 6. I told you the reason I wanted to do that is I wanted to show you that Daniel's custom was to pray. Right? We need to establish right off the bat that the initial thing that we go to, the automatic reaction that we have, be to pray. And Daniel 6 really showed us that that was Daniel's custom. So now we're going to rewind back to Daniel chapter 1 and kind of start from the beginning and go. I did give you a synopsis last week that, of kind of what's going on, that, that the people have come in and basically kidnapped Daniel and his people, and they have then brought him over to what's called Babylon, and they put him in that culture and now their goal is to indoctrinate all of these people with the Babylonian culture. So again, imagine you and I being taken out of our culture, out of our society, our family, our beliefs, our routines, and placed in a different country and then being indoctrinated with their beliefs and their language and their literature and their culture. That's what's happening all through the book of Daniel. So we're going to start reading in Daniel chapter 1, verse 3. We're going to read a couple of verses. It says, then the king ordered Ashpenaz, who was his chief of court officials, here's what he ordered him to do, bring into the king's service some of the Israelites who are from the royal family and of the nobility. Because when, when, when they kind of kidnapped them all, they indoctrinated them all, and then they said, we're going to send some of them just to be worker bees. We're going to put them out, you know, to, to work the fields, but we're going to take a certain group of them, and we're going to make them leaders. So we're going to train them up to be Leaders, it says young men pick out young men without physical defect, who are handsome, who show aptitude for every kind of learning, who are well-informed, who are quick to understand, and who are qualified to serve in the king's palace. Now watch this. Grab them and then teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians. Isn't it funny how it always starts through education, right? Let's start with the literature and the language of the Babylonians and let's start to indoctrinate them. And it says, the king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from his table, which we're going to talk about a little bit in the message. goes on to say, and they were trained for three years. So these people that they picked were trained for three years. And after that, they would then enter into the king's service. And this is where we get the idea of who our main characters are um, in the book of Daniel. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So that's kind of our four main characters. I want to make a point of this. You need to understand that they're around the age 15 when they're taken. I think this is important for us to understand because it lets us know that anytime the enemy tries to use the pressure of culture, it will always start with young people. I think that happens for a couple of reasons. One, I think they tend to be more impressionable. Because a lot of us, we've lived long enough and we've been done wrong enough and we're set in our ways and it's a little bit harder for us to be moved where when you're a young person, I have a 13-year-old, so I understand what this is like. They're just kind of weighing in the wind, you know what I mean? Just like, well, that sounds cool, let's be about that. And, and so it, that's important. But also, if you, if you indoctrinate them now, you get them when they're early, then they'll grow up in it and they'll be passionate about it and they'll start to spread it throughout their family and those around them. So it's important for you to know that they got these boys when they were young and they said, let's indoctrinate them and then let's make them into our culture. So here's what I want to show you real quick. There are three things that I see in Daniel chapter one 
where the enemy is actually using the pressure of culture. And a lot of us think that what we're dealing with today is new to us. That it's like, whoa, wow, it's never been this bad or it's never been this wild or this crazy. But I'm about to show you that this has basically been the pattern of the enemy since the beginning of time. This has been what his pattern was in Daniel chapter 1. And I think if we grabbed our grandmas and our great-grandparents and their grandparents, we'd find out that it was the same patterns, just looked a little different, but the same patterns throughout their life. So here it is. Number one, the enemy will use culture to confuse our identity. Okay. One of the first things the enemy likes to use culture to do right off the bat, Daniel chapter one, verse seven, after they got these boys, it says the chief official gave them new names. Now that's interesting to me. It's interesting because why would this be the very first thing you would do? That as you grab these boys, why is it important to change their name? It goes on to say that to Daniel, he gave the name Belteshazzar. To Hananiah, he gave the name Shadrach. To Mishael, he gave the name Meshach. And to Azariah, he gave the name Abednego. Okay? Now, before we get into this, I need you to understand that in that day, the, the concept or the the ritual in picking somebody's name was way more serious than it is today. So a lot of times when we pick a child's name, we pick it because somebody was named that in our family or because it's unique or let's be honest, we like that name. But very rarely are we giving people names in our culture today based off what that name means. Okay, so all of our names have definitions by different reasons and different cultures and so on. But back then, when they were assigning a name to a child, they would have the child, and here's what they would say. We believe the name sets up the identity of the child. So whoever we want the child to be, we'll name them based off the identity. So watch this. If I want my child to be a man of God, then I will name him something that means man of God. Make sense? So it wasn't just a name. When you hear Daniel, it wasn't just a name. Daniel had meaning. So did their Babylonian name. So watch this. Daniel, the name Daniel meant God is my judge. That's what his name meant. When they named him, God is my judge. The name Belteshazzar meant lady, protect the king. What's interesting is right off the bat, you see a change of name from male to female. The gender change, right? It's like, this is relevant for today. We see this and go, wait a minute, this was happening back in... Bible days? Yes. It was this idea that Daniel, whose name meant that God was his judge, is now changing and it's moving it into lady, protect the king. Wow, what a shift, right? We'll come back to that. Let's keep on going. Hananiah meant Yahweh has been gracious. God is gracious. Uh, sorry, go back. Sorry. Shadrach meant I am, a, I am fearful of God. Think about that. So his original name meant that God is gracious and God is loving and his name identified the character of God. And his new name means that God is tyrannical and he should be feared. Think about how drastically different that is. Let's go to the next name. Michelle meant who is what God is. I am defined by who God is. Meshach meant I am despised and I'm humiliated. In other words, his first name meant I'm focused on who God is. His new name is focused on self, right? My, my first name meant I'm focused on a God who is without error. I'm made in the image of a God who is without error. My new name is I am flesh and I am filled with errors. 
And then Azariah meant Yahweh has helped. And Abednego meant servant of Nemo. So it's a shift from I am a son of God to I'm a slave of men. Here's why this is important. These names to these boys established who they were. It established their identity and it established the identity of God. And so when you change a name, see, if we're not careful, we think changing of a name is just changing of a name. And I was thinking about this. Why would this be an agenda of the enemy? Why would he be so wrapped up in this this transferring of identity? Why would this be a thing that he's interested in? He's interested in it because it has a direct impact on the identity of God. All right? Let me just go with me for a second if you can. This this, this, uh, transferring of identity, let's just say it like this. For us, that's kind of the one thing. I don't know about you. It's kind of the one thing that at, at one time we thought was like black and white. You know what I mean? Like, like it's factual. Like gender was just it, was just, it was just factual. It just made, I mean, two, four, five, six years ago, it was kind of like, duh. Like, you know what I mean? Like nobody was arguing about that. It was like, it's the most obvious, here's how you know. Gimme, right? I don't need to go any more obvious than that. So it was just, it, it, just, it was just factual. But now our, our culture has moved to a place where this is now questionable. And watch this. If you can question this, which just a few years or months ago was factual, what actually can happen is now you can question this about God. Does that make sense? If I can question this, then now this is questionable. I'm telling you right now, the enemy doesn't care about this. He's not concerned about if you wear a dress or not. None of this is his agenda. His agenda is the identity of God. Because if I can get you to question your identity, then automatically you question the identity of God. The Bible says that you are saved by grace, that, you are, that grace is sufficient, that you are a daughter and a son of the king, that you're anointed, you're appointed, that you've been saved and put in position and a calling on your life. And if this is questionable, then so is that. See what I'm saying? We all grew up. The Bible is the word of God. It's facts. You don't question it. But so is that. And if I can question that, then why can't we question this? See what I'm saying? Our enemy will use the current culture to try to confuse our identity and to try to confuse the identity of God. He wants you to question what you know about you and what you know about God. And so by changing the names of these four boys... He literally shifted or tried to shift who they saw God to be. If I can change your name, God goes from being gracious to being feared. You're not hearing me. If I can change your name, God goes from being gracious to being feared. I can change something that seems so separate. Listen, I hope you understand this. We are not at war with flesh and blood. We're at war with spirits. Everything that the enemy does that to our eyes seems basic or silly or out of nowhere, he has an agenda for. Everything that we're looking at on a surface, it's deeper. When we think it's because of this, it's not because of this. This is how he's actually operating it, but the root will always be to get you to question the heart of God. It's not about your gender. 
It's about your identity of God. When Darla and I first moved here, uh, you know, we, 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 in the team, we first moved here, we were connecting with so many different people. And we were trying to do outreaches and things, so we're sending emails and we're connecting to people. And it never failed. People kept getting my name wrong. And it's not a hard name, guys. In case you're visiting, my name is Troy. Troy it's four letters. You know what I mean? And, and, and all the time I'd get like, hey, thanks, Trey. And I'm like, it's not Trey. You're like, what, bro? Just turn the E, take the line away, complete it. It's an O. It's Troy. I had multiple names. The one I got called the most, I'm not kidding to you, was Tony. I was called Tony all the time. People just constantly called me Tony. One time, I went to go pick up a, a package from Home Depot, and it had my name on it. So you know what it was? And it said, Pastor Tony. Right? I'm like, this is just who I am. Right? I've just become him. Uh, I was texting somebody one time, and I texted him some stuff, and he said, uh, you know, okay, Pastor Tony, you know, da, 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 da. And I said, okay. I responded back to him, and I made sure to sign at the end of my response, Pastor Troy. No lie. He said, thanks, Tony. <laughs> that was his response. Oh, like, it's not so hard. And everybody thought it was funny. Every time I'd walk into a room, the team would be like, hey, Pastor Tony. You know, they loved it. Darla thought it was funny until... One day we got invited to go to this church, and this church was going to, you know, acknowledge us during the service because we hadn't launched the church yet, and they were going to pray over us. And it, so when we arrived, they had our names on stickers on all of the front row seats so we could sit down. And so we came around, and it was Pastor Troy and Tim and Jenny and all these people. And right beside me, there it was, Sharla. <laughs> Isn't that great? I said, that's what you get. You know what I mean? Like, it's just Pastor Tony and Sharla, Pastor and Victory Church, baby. Let's go. You know what I mean? But I'm telling you, like, like, listen, we think that it's not a big deal, but when you change somebody's name, it's a shifting of identity. And so, listen, when culture shifts, you and I must be confident in who we are. This is why you hear me preach so much on identity in God, because you need to know who you are and watch this, who God is. Because if you have a clear understanding of who you are in God and who God is, watch this. If you have an incorrect understanding of who God is, you'll have an incorrect understanding of who you are in God. You need to know who you are. And the way you and I do that is through prayer and through reading God's word. When we read the word of God, we learn who the character of God is. You can read from Genesis all the way to Revelation, and the grace of God is all the way. I'll hear people say, don't read this. That's when God was mean. No, if you know it in context, you will see the grace of God all the way through from the beginning to end. All the Bible does is show you the love and grace and mercy, the truth of God and, and, and the righteousness of God, but the love and the grace and mercy of God. And when you read that, you'll learn who you are in God, that you are saved and redeemed and righteous in Christ. And you will learn this is who I am and this is who God is. And that will actually project you into a healthy place of living. But if culture can confuse your identity, then it can confuse God's identity. Number two, we need to keep moving. Number two, it will compromise our standards. Daniel chapter 1 verse 8 says, but Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he actually asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Okay, so here's what I understand. They're going to feed Daniel from the king's table. This is the best kind of food. I was trying to, this, to me, this is just a table full of bread. You know what I mean? This is like bread in every kind of form. Biscuits, rolls, crackers, communion. I just want it all. You know what I mean? It's just like, it's just beautiful. It's the best kind of food. But Daniel, watch this. 
Daniel's, in his culture, and his belief, eating that food would defile him. He wasn't walking around saying, you can't eat it, you can't eat it. He was just saying, as far as me and my house goes, if I do that, then I will be bending on what I believe. I'll be compromising my standards. And what the enemy wants to do with culture is come in, watch this, and challenge, challenge your convictions and bend your beliefs. Now hear me, the devil does not want to break your beliefs at first. Because if he comes in with all this force and trying to break your belief, you're smart enough to go, whoa, 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 whoa. That doesn't sound right. It's why the devil never shows up with like the red pitchfork and the pointy tail and the horns. He doesn't show up like that. Why? Because you would be smart enough to go, get out of my house. So what he wants to do is get you to a place where he can let you bend those beliefs. You know, you're like, ah, not that big of a deal. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm kind of keeping it. Like, you know, if I could just bend it a little bit because the more you bend it, you'll keep bending until eventually you don't even recognize that you're bending it at all. He wants you and I, he wants to make what is normal to culture be normal to us. He wants to make what's okay to culture be okay to us. And just listen to me for a second. I'm not here to judge. I'm not here to put my agenda on anybody, but I'm just talking about my life. There are things that are okay to the world that are just not okay to me. I'm not telling you they have to be not okay to you. I'm just saying for me, like, like Daniel's saying, like, eat it if you want, but I'm not going to eat it because it might defile me. Now, here's what's important. Babylon was not this dungeon, lack of desire place that they handcuffed people and dragged them into where the whole time they're entering, they're like, this is going to be terrible. Babylon was gorgeous. Babylon was like walking into Walt Disney World. You know what I mean? You just walk in and you're like, wow. There's like Mickey Mouse shaped cinnamon rolls. You know what I mean? And you're like, I want to live here. You know what I mean? And you're 40. And I'm not mad about it. I want to live in Disney World. Like this is what Babylon was. So don't get the picture that they're dragging these boys in and these boys are like, this is terrible. They're coming in going, oh my goodness. Look at those buildings. Look at those. Look at that food. You know, it, 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 it was attractive to the eye. And this is the same thing with culture, y'all. When culture starts to bring pressure, it doesn't come at you with stuff that is unattractive to you because you wouldn't want it. it. It comes at you in ways, watch this, that some stuff either looks good, or I'll be honest with you, sometimes it's, it's not even that it's bad. It's just it could be. You know what I mean? If, if we can just get you in a place where you'll bend a little bit, then you'll compromise those standards and then, again, it starts to influence you as a believer. So I'll give you an example. I, I remember when Instagram came out. Is that still a thing for people? Yeah. I know that's become kind of us old folks. You know what I mean? That's now, now the kids do the TikTok-y and the Snapchat-y and all those things. But when Instagram came out, it was huge for me because I'm a picture guy. Like, I don't like to see people's comments and stuff. I don't have time to read all that. But I like to see pictures. Like, oh, that's cool. And, and I always love to show pictures. So when we're doing fun stuff or anything, like, I, like Zoe's telling the truth, I went on that ropes course thing. And I'm going to post this picture later to my Facebook because I'm older than Instagram people are. Um, but I had to like swing on this rope and run into this rope wall and climb. It was crazy. And that's fun to be like, look at what I did, right? So Instagram's fun. It's great. 
But it's one of those things that if you really pay attention to it, it looks great, but it can be dangerous. 2020 hits, and our church is closed. We can't meet because we're in a school. Social injustice is happening, and our diverse church is losing its mind. It doesn't really know how to handle it and approach it, and I can't pastor the people. I'm not able to be in here and walk through, hey, here's what's happening, and here's why that person said that, and hey, let's come together, and let's remember. Like, it's a difficult time for me. And so I just found myself on Instagram. And then I realized that one of the most dangerous things for me when it came to Instagram was comparison. I just, I would constantly compare myself to other people who were doing what I do. They're pastoring, they have bigger churches, and they have their own buildings, so they're able to meet already, and here we are, I'm filming a video in my living room on an iPhone, and just, comparison starts to sink in. And now, all of a sudden, something that at one time was so beautiful isn't so beautiful anymore. And the impact on me is impacting my identity and my peace in God, and now it's bringing worry and anxiety, and watch this. Then I realized that while I have access to football posts and uh, you know, some of y'all's posts and friends' posts, I also have really easy access to pictures of women that are not my wife. That with just the touch of my finger, I can open up people that follow people that I follow. And these are just a whole bunch of things that they don't bring honor to my wife and they don't bring honor to God and they essentially could lead to damaging or even killing what God has blessed me with. And here's the will killer. You ready? There's no evidence that I even looked at it. There's no search history. And so I realized this, realized the danger of it. And so I went to Darla and I said, hey, you know, this is what's going on. I said, but I feel like I still need to be able to access Instagram for our church and post what God's doing, especially since we're 100% online. And I said, can I, do, can, can I put, can I sign in to my Instagram on your phone? And then when I'm ready to post, I can just come to you you can hand me your phone, I can make a post and send it, and I can give you back your phone, and I'm not tempted to just kind of scroll through it. So she said, sure. A couple weeks go by, I came to her, I said, just delete my account altogether. Because two weeks went by without me having it, and I realized I didn't need it. I realized that what it was doing in my life in a negative way would never outweigh what's happening in my life in a positive way by not having it at all. Now listen, I'm on Facebook. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not downing social media. Don't leave here and be like, Troy hates us. It's not what I'm saying. You, you got to be able to understand your own convictions. I'm just telling you, for me, I realized that what at one time looked like Disney World was actually causing me to bend my beliefs. It was causing me to compromise my convictions. And if I wasn't careful, the bending was going to break. And so I realized that no matter how attractive it looked, it's not worth the damage it could do. And so what Daniel's saying, he's saying, look, I get to you. This is so good. I get to you. It's just food. But it could defile who I'm trying to be in God. So I get to you that it's just social media, but it could defile who I'm trying to be in God. I get to you that I, that I get to you. It's just texting a girl, but I refuse to do it without my wife in it because it could damage what God's trying to do in my life. We got to be careful. Culture likes to deconstruct what we believe. And deconstruct is, is, it's not all wrong. I was talking to Brian about it. We were talking about how sometimes because when we build our faith on our parents, right? And we build our faith on other people in our life. Sometimes it's good to deconstruct that faith and rebuild it for ourselves. But how do we rebuild it? 
If we rebuild it with emotions and feelings and culturally relevant issues, we're not rebuilding it healthy. But if we rebuild it on the word of God, if we rebuild it on prayer and revelation from him to us, then it's healthy. So as culture begins to shift, you and I must know, watch this, what we believe and where we go to find truth. You have to know as culture is shifting, when you're walking into things that are very attractive to the eye, you have to know what you believe. You have to be able to say, well, it might just be that. But for me, I have to stay away from it for my health because it may make me bend my beliefs and eventually lead to me breaking what God's trying to do in my life. Again, not you. Eat what you want to eat, but I can't eat it. Does that make sense? You have to know what you believe and where you go to find truth. Number three. So number one, before you put it up there, sorry. Number one, confuse our identity. It's the way the enemy uses the pressure of culture. Number two, make us compromise our standards. Number three, challenge our faith. Watch this. Daniel chapter one, verse nine. It says, now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. This is as a result of Daniel asking, can I just not eat that food? It says, but the official told Daniel, watch this. I'm afraid. I'm afraid of my Lord, the king. Here's what the official was saying. He was saying, I, I believe what you're saying, and I support what you're doing, and I'd love to let you eat a different diet. But if you look different, if, you're, if you go vegan on us, <laughs> and you look like the walking dead walking around here because you ain't had no protein, you know what I mean? and everybody else is filled with meat, and you look different, the king will see it, he'll get mad at me, and he'll kill me. Watch what Daniel says. He says, then say to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, watch this, then just test us. Just test us. If you're worried and you're scared, then let's test it. So I get rid of Instagram. Months go by. And I go to have coffee with a fellow pastor who planted a church and close to the area. And again, we're going through the same stuff, same season. Y'all know how it is. And we sit down at this coffee shop and we're talking through the pressure and just the weight that he's experiencing in his marriage. They say church planting is one of the worst things when it comes to pressure and it'll, it'll expose unhealthy marriages and unhealthy people. And so he's telling me all this stuff and I'm walking him through some of the stuff Darla and I went through and how we got through it and all that. All of a sudden I say to him, I said, you know what? Just recently, I said, I got off of Instagram. He leaned back in his chair. He said, what? Again, back then it was a big deal. <laughs> he said, you got off of Instagram? I said, yeah. I told him the whole story I just told you. I said, I'm done with it. I said, after two weeks, I went back to her and I said, just delete it. I don't want to be on it anymore. Here's what he said to me. Dead honest, I promise you. He leaned up to me. Here's what he said. He said, you can't grow a church without Instagram. Now, for some of y'all, you're like, that's the dumbest thing you've ever heard. But I'm telling you, I believed it. And in that moment, all of the fear just started, listen, isn't it crazy to think or to even say that God's not big enough to build a church without Instagram? That's stupid, right? Like all of y'all are like, come on, Troy, how dumb are you? But it was what I struggled with. How many times has the enemy brought fear on us to cave into the pressure of 
culture and outside somebody else would say, that's the dumbest thing, but to us, it's real. To us, it's real. Call it dumb if you want, but it scared me to death. See, watch this. When I told you that culture will cause you to compromise your standards, culture is coming at you with an angle of attractiveness. If I can get you to bend on what you believe because you like what you see. But watch this. If you don't give in to that, if you stand up for what you believe in amongst the attractiveness, then the enemy steps back and he shifts his agenda and then he comes with fear. That's what this cancel culture concept kind of birthed out of. If I can't change you by attracting you, if I can't make the apple look so good that you'll give into it and bite it, then I'll start to give you fear and reasons that you'll die or that this will happen or your business will fall apart or you'll never be popular or whatever to get you to cave in on those standards. Because if I can't get you by attractiveness, I'll get you by fear. The official said, I want to. I want to let you do it, but I'm scared I'll get killed. See what I mean? I'm sitting across from that guy having coffee, and I'm starting to think, do I need to get Instagram back? What if God can't grow our church without Instagram? I worried. Proud to say I didn't do it, but I worried. So when you and I start to experience the pressure of culture, this this desire to confuse our identity, this, this agenda to try to compromise our standards to get us to bend what we believe, or if nothing else, to test and challenge our faith. I love what Daniel said. Test us. If you're saying that I can't stand up for God in the midst of this and my business be successful or me be able to survive high school or me be able to grow a church, whatever, let's just test it. Let's test it. Let's trust God in the midst of this pressure of culture. And when everybody's telling us that if we don't give in, this is going to happen, let's stand for God and let's just test it. Do me a favor. Everybody stand in this place. I want to give you three thoughts on how we stand, what it looks like for you and I to stand in the midst of the pressure of culture. Number one, you and I need to stand in prayer. We got to stand in prayer, church. We got to be a praying church. We need to stand together with what we're going through. Last week, we talked about it. When stuff happens to you, you don't need to isolate yourself and worry. We need to come together and pray. Pray through things. This past Thursday night, we gather and we're praying for people. And it's so sweet. We're sitting in circles, praying through stuff that we're dealing with. We need to stand in prayer. This Thursday night, we're going to pray for our community. We're going to pray for culture. We're going to stand up as a church and pray. We have got to be a praying people. As culture moves ahead, I told you, it's a spiritual warfare. We have got to be able to fight on that level What if we prayed more than we put Facebook posts out? You know what I mean? Because we start fighting spiritual wars with fleshly comments. And we're not making any progress. Let's spend more time praying than posting. Man, I'll write a whole sermon based on that. So number one, we stand in prayer. Number two, watch this. 
stand in love. This is so important. I don't want us to get to a place where, where we're coming off self-righteous and like we've figured it out and we've got it all figured out. You know what I mean? Like there's a way to stand in love. You're going to see as we study Daniel, he became such a man of favor. The kings loved him. He went totally against everything they believed. Some of them he influenced for God. But regardless, they all loved him. How could we be engaging culture and be against what it's saying and yet they love us? I'll tell you how. Because we're not walking in the door going, you're doing it wrong. You need to change the door going, as for me and my house. As for me. This is just, brother, this is just, sister, this is just the way I am. Eat what you want, but but I'm going to eat this. And then what happens is people start to see the influence on your life and the joy and the lack of worry and the lack of anxiety. And they say, something's different about you. And here's the thing, I want to do what you do. Isn't that sweet that I never had to tell anybody to follow Jesus like that? They just come to go, what's different about you? It's Jesus. See what I mean? It's two different approaches. So what happened with the king. He's coming to Daniel going, your God, your God is the one and only true God. Your God, why? Because I've seen God work through you. Daniel didn't knock on the king's door and go, you better not eat that, you're going to hell. Daniel said, this is the way I am. And the king saw it, took notice of it, and impacted. Number three is this. Stand for God. Stand in prayer. Stand in love. But stand for God. Every student, listen to me right now. Whether you're a senior in high school, whether you're in middle school, whether you're in 9th, 10th, 11th grade trying to figure out college, Whatever it is, listen to me. No matter what's happening, your best bet is to stand for God. Listen to me, adult, married couple, single person, dating couple, mom and dad, parents with or, or adults with no kids, grandma and grandpa. Listen to me, listen to me. Your best result in your job, your best result in society, your best result in, in culture is to stand God. You say, well, you don't understand where I am. If I make those stands, there's a threat. Oh, there's fear. I feel like I taught on that already. But I get it. I'm not telling you to go in and be a jerk, right? But I am telling you this. If you will make stands for God, God will stand with you. I'll prove it to you. Matthew chapter 10, verse 32. Watch this. Stand up for me against the world's opinions and I'll stand up for you before my Father in heaven. When you stand for God, Jesus stands with you. That's so important for you to know. Church, I want you to understand that when culture begins to change and it's going to always change, it's never going to stop changing. The enemy never does anything new. He just repackages his old tricks. But our decisions are based on whether we're going to stand for God or give in to our fleshly desires and temptations. And I'm telling you, these are the ways they're going to come at you. They're going to try to confuse your identity. They're going to try to compromise your standards. They're going to try to challenge your faith. If you'll stand in prayer, stand in love, stand for God. In other words, pray first. Pray first. I'll tell you one story and we'll close. 
Darla and I are in Broken Arrow a couple of weeks ago and we're with Pastor Ron and Kelly and we went and connected with them on a Saturday because they were doing a back to school event in their church and uh, about 4,000 people came through to get all their kids school supplies. It was phenomenal. But Pastor Ron is wanting to give up the tour of the church while this event's going on. So we're following Pastor Ron around. He's little. He's fast, man. He's all over the place. He constantly goes. And so Paul and I are trying to follow him. And we know a few people that we grew up with that are on staff there. And so we go. We're upstairs at one point, And we come into this room and the young lady that we knew is there. And we're like, hey, we haven't seen her in years. And so we start connecting and talking. And Pastor Ron just keeps on going, just out the door and gone. And so, like, I see it. Darla's talking. We're like, and so finally we tell Becky, we're like, we, we got to go. We got to go. And so we, we jet out and we go down the door and we come down the stairs because we know which way he went. And when we come out this door, all of a sudden, there's thousands of people because that was the main kind of starting point for this outreach. And so there's people everywhere, and there's police officers and security and volunteers and human arrows and the whole deal. And we pop open the door, and I'm looking right at one of the volunteers, and I'm like, uh-oh, because I've lost Pastor Ron. I don't know where he is. And the volunteers think that Darla and I are there for the back-to-school outreach. And so they go, this way, sir. And I was like, no, 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 I need to go that way, which was a way that was off limits. But that's where Pastor Ron went. And she said, no, sir, you need to go that way. I said, no, ma'am, I need to go that way. And she said, no, you need to go that way. And I said, no, I need to go that way. Y'all get the point. We did this for a while. And she's trying to lead me this way. And I'm trying to tell her, that's not the way I need to go. I need to go this way. And all of a sudden, Pastor Ron comes back into the picture because he realizes he lost us. Joy, Darla, waves his hand like this. And the woman looks and sees him. And she looks at me and she goes, are you with him? I said, yes, ma'am. I'm with him. And here's what she said. Well, good, because he's the right person to be with. She just moved and off we went. Here's my message for you. God is the right person to be with. No matter what's happening in culture, no matter what pressure you are experiencing, God is the right person to be with. When everybody's telling you, you got to go this way, you got to go this way, and you go, no, 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 I got to go this way, and they go, no, you got to go this way, and you go, no, I got to go this way, and they go, who are you with? I'm with God. I'm with Him. And I just want you to hear my heart. He's the best one to be with. I know it's hard. I know you don't know what to do and you feel the pressure and you feel the confusion and you want to make right decisions, but it's heavy and it's hard and I'm telling you the right answer is just to be with God. It's the right answer. Do me a favor, close your eyes right now. Father, we pray for your Holy Spirit, for supernatural strength. Come on, if you need him in your life right now, just begin to ask him. Whatever challenges you're facing, whatever cultural challenges you're facing, whatever worldly pressure it is you're facing, whatever fear the enemy has told you, whatever lie he's told you, that'll never work, this will never work. All you need to say is, God, I'm with you. I'm with you. Your word says that if I stand for you, you'll stand with me. Come on, let's just make that stand for a second. Let's just worship him. Let's honor him. Let's glorify him. Let's ask him to help us, to walk with us. Let's keep our eyes on him. Let's stand in prayer. Let's stand in love. And let's stand for God. And if we do, church, 
we'll have supernatural peace that transcends all understanding that guards our heart and minds in Christ Jesus and we can say this it is well with my soul